Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. Because what happens is you have a 30-minute conversation with them. They send you a deal. Then maybe you have another 30-minute conversation with them about the deal. And then you're expected to wire them $50,000. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I am excited to have you here. I'm excited to be back with another great interview I have on the show today, Jim Pfeiffer. He is one of the founders of Left Field Investors and the host of the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Left Field Investors is a group dedicated to educating and assisting like-minded investors negotiate the nuances of the passive investing landscape and the world of syndication. Jim himself is a former financial advisor who just became frustrated with the one path fits all approach of the standard financial services industry. He now concentrates on investing in real assets that produce cash flow and is committed to sharing his knowledge with others who are interested in learning a different way to grow wealth. Fun interview, very smart guy, uh, a conservative approach that I can very much appreciate and had a lot of great advice for new uh, uh, people who are kind of new to getting into syndicating uh, or syndications, I should say, as a passive investor in that world. So really fun interview, packed with lots of good information, especially if you're newer to that world and you just need some information. So uh, wealth of knowledge, you can tell he's an educator at heart. I had a lot of fun talking to him. I give you guys Jim Pfeiffer. All right, Jim, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. I, I appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, I, I've done some research and, and dug in a little bit to kind of, you know, obviously it's always a more interesting interview when you don't log on and, and you're just figuring out who this person is on the fly, right? So uh, exactly. as a podcaster, my job is to make this interesting and I can't do that unless I've kind of done some homework. And so I, I have some idea of, of what we could be talking about here, um, but we'll let it kind of go where it goes. But I know where your strengths are and I know what your passions are, I think, based off of my research. So uh, I'm excited to dive in. And I, and I gave the folks a bit of a, of a bio on you, but in your own words, can you maybe just kind of summarize a little bit who you are and, and where you come from? Yeah, I guess I've kind of finally figured out who I am and, and I'm an educator, right? I, I'm, this is my fourth career that I'm on is a passive investing in real estate syndications. I started out at just a regular corporate job and 
kind of very quickly worked myself into a mentor teaching role within that corporate job. Then I uh, did what I always wanted to do was I became an actual teacher. I taught finance and accounting in uh, Columbus City Schools in Ohio, here where I live. And then I transitioned to being a financial advisor, which is all education. And as I was learning how to be a financial advisor, I'd been 25 years stock market guy, you know, a finance major. I couldn't wait to put money into my 401k as soon as I joined the company, that kind of thing. And so I was certain that stocks, paper assets, and all that was the place to be. And as I was a financial advisor, that's where I really started to learn about money. And at the same time, we were accidental landlords because we'd bought a house, couldn't sell our old one um, because it was 2008 and, you know, nothing was selling. So we rented that house for five Uh years and I absolutely hated it. But I, I saw what was happening right to, to my income, having another income stream. Yep. And so that slowly sunk in as I was learning about money. And I put all that together, even though the financial advisor people were teaching me about paper assets, I kind of figured out, and this is how I view it now, is the paper assets are speculation, right? Yeah. You buy something, you buy a stock, a mutual fund, and you are hoping that it increases in value, and then at someday you hope to find someone else to buy it from you at a much higher price. Yep. Right. That hope is not a great strategy, but that's what <laughs> most people are doing. Yeah. And then I found uh, real estate. I was an active investor for a while. Now I'm just fully passive. But whether you're active or passive, you're buying a real asset that has a current benefit in the form of cash flow, most likely, and it also has upside and appreciation. But I, I invest for the cash flow, and so once all that kind of clicked. And I realized there's a difference between speculation and investing, and real estate to me is investing. Then it was off to the races, right? I was an active uh, investor for quite a while, and then I realized I was not a good asset manager. Hmm. Now the cash flow wasn't coming the way it was supposed to, and that's the asset manager's fault, right? I yeah. I, di- I had problems with property managers. I just wasn't good at it, and that's when I found passive investing. And what I could do then is. I can vet operators, which I've learned how to do, and they can be the asset managers and they're professional asset managers. So certainly they're better yeah. at it than I ever was. Yep. And my results have shown I, you know, I'm much better investor now. The cash flow is there now, the appreciation is there now. And so it just makes total sense for me to be completely passive and re- and hire these quality asset managers to ma- and manage the assets for me. So that's kind of my story. I evolved from a stock market guy to now I'm fully on board with the uh, real assets produce cash flow. Okay. So let me ask you um, a lot of, there's a million questions here. Well, first of all, let me just start at the at a high level 10,000 foot view. If you're fully passive investor now, are do you spend your days from a work perspective, just evaluating uh, syndications, evaluating asset managers and figuring out where you're going to go next? Or what? Do you, how, how does a person who's doing what you do spend your, your average day? That, that's what I was doing before um, we started Left Field <clears throat> Investors. And and now I spend most of my time working in the community and, and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, as a passive investor, my, my full-time job is to first evaluate the operators and really dig deep into that. And then as deals come by, I would, I would evaluate those. But 80% of the due diligence really for me goes to the sponsor because if you don't have a quality asset manager, you're going to be you know, have someone like me manage your asset, it's not going to go well. And, you know, it could be the best deal in the world and you're still going to struggle struggle if you don't have someone who's managing that asset properly. Okay. So you mentioned left field investors, uh, that community. W- what exactly is that? Like, in a, in a, what's the elevator uh, explanation of that? 
Yeah, we're just a community that is uh, focused on providing education and networking opportunities for people who are interested in becoming financially free through investing <laughs> primarily in real estate syndications. Okay. We don't uh, sponsor deals. You know, we're we're just a source of education and a, a network, a community. Because, you know, you walk out your front door and talk to your neighbors or friends about finance. They're going to talk 401k, IRA, mm -hmm. stock market. Yep. You walk, And then you're the guy that says, hey, what about syndications? Oh my gosh, alternative investing. That's scary. That's, you know, horrible. I, I don't understand. They're going to think you're crazy. Yep. So we developed a community where all the crazies can come and make money together <laughs> and, uh, and, and laugh at the others. I'm kidding, not laugh at them, but you know what I'm saying. So are these mostly newer investors or sophisticated investors? Who, who's in the community if somebody were to, to come into that community? We have honestly everything. We have people that are not accredited and are not in their first deal and just looking to get into it <clears> all the way up to people that are in 100 deals are accredited and have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of passive income a month. And we have everything. And and the thing what I've learned is I, I set this community up is initially just going to be a small dinner club in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. Um, pandemic stopped that. We couldn't meet. So we mm. went online and, and, and the community grew. We're now about 1,300 people. But the uh, it was never the intent. The intent was always just I was going to be educating people and, you know, and, and what I've learned is they're educating me. Yeah. A brand new person teaches me something. The expert teaches me something. And no one's gotten more out of left field investors than I have. But my belief is to be a successful real estate syndication investor, you need a community. It does not have to be left field investors, but you need a network so that you can become a better investor so you can learn and you can leverage others' expertise and find the great sponsors, find the great deals. It's really hard to do that by yourself. So how do you find great sponsors what what's the what's the process there for someone and let's just maybe let's try talking at a, an unsophisticated level a little bit assuming yeah. that a lot of people listening haven't done 50 syndication deals right they're just trying to look for right. their first one yeah well there's for, for my, my journey had three stages right and so i think it helps to talk where i started and, and where i ended and <clears throat> where i started was I heard about passive investing and I went to a conference, right? And it was my first conference. I was super excited. I had a, a bucket of uh, money from an old uh, employer 401k that I'd put into a self-directed IRA. And I went to this seminar on syndication and I met some syndicators and I said, hi, are you a syndicator? They said yes. And I handed them a check. <laughs> and that's it. That was my vetting, right? I, yeah. I figured, well, they're here. They yeah. must be great. Yeah. And that was very ineffective. I wouldn't probably invest in any of those deals uh, now. None, okay. none of them, well, some of them have gone south. None are horrible, but none are things that I would do now. So that okay. was stage one. Stage two was I just started listening to tons of podcasts, reading a lot of books. And so I would reach out to syndicators from podcasts, which is not a bad strategy. But the problem is I don't know if they are a good podcaster, a good podcast guest, or are they a, a, a good operator? Are they a good marketer? Yeah. Are they a good operator? There's no yeah. way to tell because what happens is you have a 30-minute conversation with them. They send you a deal. Then maybe you have another 30-minute conversation with them about the deal, and then you're expected to wire them $50,000. Yeah. I mean, wires are scary anyway, but sending it to somebody you don't know <laughs> is terrifying. Yeah. And so then I finally and, – and so those deals that I did in that stage are good. You know, Most of them are good. There's better ways. And so now the only way I – well, almost the only way I'll invest with a new sponsor is if they are introduced to me by somebody I know, like, and trust who's in my community who has already invested with them. 
Now, the deal doesn't have to be full cycle, but they've already invested with them, had some distributions, had some communication, because then I'm starting from a place of trust. Mm. I still do all of the same due diligence on that sponsor that I would for someone I didn't know, but I'm starting 100 steps ahead from yeah. a place of trust. Yep. These are illiquid um, investments out of your control, and they're very long-term. Yep. So you really need to make sure that you're getting into the right deal because you cannot get out of it. If you get into a bad stock, you can sell it. If you get into a bad syndication, you're stuck. So it's really important to qualify those. And so that's how we do it now is someone in our, and that's why the network and the community is so important because they're bringing all of their breadth of sponsors, sharing them. And now we can all pick the best ones, right? The ones that we have the best results with. And so that's kind of how I do it now. I only invest with those sponsors that are introduced to me by someone I know, like, and trust who's already invested with them. Gotcha. Now, I assume being on podcasts like this, you must get inquiries from syndicators who say, hey, uh, Jim, I heard you on this podcast. Your community sounds great. We have these deals that we're doing and we've done so many in the past and we're so great. Like, do you completely just shut them out or do you hear those? Do you listen to that and look into them? Even though they're not in your community, they weren't introduced to you by someone in your community. Yeah. That that's a great that's a great question because that's where I struggle and that's where I'm still trying to figure it out because I don't want to just exclude them because I don't know them and nobody in my community knows them. Or maybe somebody in my community does know them and I just don't know it. Mm -hmm. So that's a place where I'm still trying to figure that out. And what I do then is I tell the operator, I want to have a phone call with you. I want to start getting to know you. I can promise you almost I will not invest in a deal with you for probably six months or a year. And I just want to get on your deal list, start getting emails, start understanding what you do. And, and let's just take it slow. Yeah. And if they say, oh, yeah, completely understand, let's do that, then we'll do it. Yeah. And very rarely have I had someone say, well, I don't have that long to wait. And if they did, you know, I'm, I'm out, right? Yeah. I don't want any pressure because you feel, I feel yeah. pressure. If someone spends a half hour talking to you about their company and their deals, you end up feeling pressure to invest. And what I tell people yeah. is you should feel no pressure. And if you're getting pressure from the operator, run, yeah. right? Yep. So, this is a process. I haven't figured everything out. Our community hasn't figured everything out. But one of the things on our list to try to do is how do you qualify a sponsor you don't know? Because yep. it's very difficult, but you don't want to you don't want to miss out on somebody who's potentially really good. It's the same thing if you're just looking at track record, you're going to miss the new guy who's in a new market with a new idea and and just is doing gangbusters, right? Yep. So there has to be a balance. So the bulk of what I'm doing now is investing with people that I know, like, and trust through my connections and my network and my community. And then I'm still trying to figure out, okay, how do you qualify somebody you don't know? I don't want to just shut them all out. I yep. don't have a good process for that except the the slow roll of let's get to know each other. Yep, totally. Um, so once you find <clears throat> a sponsor, and let's say however they came to you, whether it came through your community or somebody on the outside that you vetted and and at some point you you determine i would assume that this is a good bet for me whether it takes 6 months a year or whatever at some point you green light this syndicator do you then openly share this with the community like hey everyone look over here i just found this great sponsor and we all should be talking to these guys they're great or is that not how it works like as someone in the community am i going to get am i going to benefit from that that due diligence that you're doing on a new sponsor yeah, and and again, I hate to keep going back to this, but we're still trying to figure that out yeah, as well. Yeah. Because 
part of it is I'm I lead this community. And so if I say, hey, I'm investing in this deal or this sponsor, I get assigned credibility that, that I might not have earned. Yeah. So people are automatically going to say, hey, I'm investing because Jim is. Mm -hmm. And that makes me uncomfortable because I'm no longer a financial advisor. And I don't want people, yeah. you know, our community is, we will help educate you. We'll all work together. But then the investment decision is individual. We're kind of a, um, you know, a do-it-yourself group in that sense. But I will say, if you if for people that are part of our community, they continually get exposed to some of the same operators. You get the feeling of who we're investing with. We also have a, a preferred partner program, which is a, a mm. syndicators that at least one of the founding members has invested with and feels comfortable with, and those um, operators are supporting us, and we're giving them access to our community. So those are the ones where I feel comfortable saying, you know. I've been in enough deals with these guys that that they're they're probably good to go. But the other ones, I I am cautious. But we we have a lot of um, webinars that we present. So we'll present lunch and learns from different sponsors, and for certain sponsors, we'll do deal webinars, and we'll have them on the podcast so the community can get to know them, and then we kind of, you know, just make our decisions. And we also have a forum where people are constantly, you know, talking mostly sponsors, right? Do you like this sponsor? What do you like about them? So I think just yeah. being part of the community, there isn't a formal process for here's how you get exposure to these operators, but you end up getting it by being part of our community or or other communities. It doesn't have to be just left field investors. Gotcha. Perfect. That makes that makes total sense. Okay. So if we could, let's um, sort of jump a little bit. Um, you mentioned 401k and that was like that was your go-to at one point. A lot of people are in that boat. They have a 401k, they're trying to maximize it. It's really the best form of of uh of savings or building wealth that they know. What what should, what would you tell someone I always like framing it this way. I don't know if you have a brother or not, but let's just say your brother came to you and you have a good relationship with your brother and you like seeing your brother do well. And he said, hey, I've got this 401k. I know you're doing this real estate thing. Like, how can I utilize my 401k? What do you suggest? Just drain it, like pull it all out. Just stop investing. Like, what do you tell people with 401ks who, who are unsure if they should be doing something different? Yeah, so if they can... Um Roll out, roll it into an IRA, right? Because there's different rules, different employers. For whatever part they could roll into an IRA, I would I would suggest a self directed IRA and putting some of that money to work in various syndications. Okay. So that's part one. Um, you know, some people I, I would consider maybe even withdrawing it and paying the taxes and penalty because the tax you're going to pay anyway. The penalty is only ten percent, and investing in real assets. I'm pretty sure you're going to erase that 10% pretty quick, yeah. but you need to tax uh, consult a tax person because that could raise your tax rate for that year when you're yeah. rolling that stuff over. So there's a lot that goes into that. I wouldn't do it all at once. I've been converting mine slowly um, over time. But for the new investing, what I would I would just say, look, you're probably let's say you're putting in 25 grand a year into your 401k, right, or whatever it is. Yep. I would consider and think about. Me, if it was my brother, I'm I'm kind of caging it because I, I don't want to be too broad. But if it was my yeah. brother, I would say stop putting money in your 401k, put that 25 grand in in a bank account, and just don't do anything with it until you get enough saved that you can start investing in real estate syndications. Because those, if you're investing in real estate syndications, you've solved the tax problem. Because if you do it right, you won't get taxed on income that you make most likely from those again consult your tax tax person but the 401k you're basically you're 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 
not paying tax now so you can pay tax later when you have a bunch more money in yeah. that account. Yeah. And probably tax rates are going up, right? They're, they're historic lows now, so you got to assume they're probably going up. So the government thanks you and I thank you for growing this huge amount of wealth in your 401k and then giving a bunch of it to your partner, the government. Yeah. Um, I prefer to have it under my control, invest in syndications and not pay tax. And I'm pretty confident that, that my, buck, my brother's going to have more money at the end investing in real estate than putting it in the 401k. Totally. So I would say, you know, and it, but it depends on the person. If you're not a good saver and you put that money in your bank account and you're just going to go, you know, spend it somewhere, 401k is for you, right? <laughs> right. But if you're, dis- if you're disciplined, right. you, can, you can get out of the Wall Street area and, and go to the scary alternatives where you actually make some money. That's right. If seeing $25,000 in your bank account is going to force you to go buy a boat, <laughs> then, then maybe it's not the right move. Um, so, you know, one of you've mentioned like putting money in a bank, saving up. How much? I know it varies. I get that, but what would you tell someone who said, "How much money do I need?" Like minimum. What What does it take to get involved in a syndication? Like, what could I expect? I'm sure it ranges, and everybody has whatever they will accept or whatever in their syndication. But what do you typically tell people they need at least X to to expect to get involved? Well, the nice thing is. Um, I don't think there is a number because okay. we have we we use a company called TribeVest um, to do group investing. Hmm. So typically, the minimums to get into a deal, a syndication, are twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand yeah, dollars, right? Yeah. And you know, a lot of people don't have that. Or let's say you do have fifty thousand dollars. If you invest that all in one syndication, you have no diversification. You're all in with that one operator, that one deal. Right. But let's say you could team up with 10, 10 friends, right? Now you can, and you each have 50000 and you invest together. Now you can get into 10 different deals, different asset classes, different sponsors, different markets. You're, um, you're diversifying, right? Or let's say you don't have $50,000, you only have $5,000 and you find 10 friends, then you could still get into one deal, yeah. right? But your exposure is much less. So using a, a group investing platform like TribeVest, and you know, full disclosure, they are a partner of Left Field Investors, um, I'm in nine different investing tribes. And they each have a different purpose. And it's just a really a nice way to make your money go farther in syndications and not have to it effectively reduces the minimum, increases the diversification, and best of all, you create this small community. And if if there's 10 people and I bring an investment to this community, guess what they're all gonna do? They're gonna ask questions, they're gonna poke holes, and we are all gonna learn and become better investors. And so I'm a big advocate of group investing. You know, if you have a whole bunch of capital, millions of dollars, you probably don't need it. But if you don't have enough money to get into two or three deals a year, TribeVest or some kind of group platform investing is, is a really great way to allow you to get into deals and, and diversify. Two quick questions about TribeVest. And again, I just want to underscore that that you have an affiliation with them, right? So just all that, yeah. understand that as we're talking. Um, is it, do they, so you're trusting their due diligence or their vesting of, of sponsors, is that? The case? No, no, sorry. So it is just a platform that helps you um, get an LLC set up, get a business bank account set up, and then there's voting on the platform, and you can store documents and messaging. So it's just a, it's a really nice. So I I know how to create a business bank account. I've done it before. I know how to yeah. do an LLC, but just having it in one place where instead gotcha. of everyone chasing nine people for a check now they can just go online click one button and the money comes right to our bank account so it just makes it 
easy. It's easy group investing. They don't they don't provide investment advice. They don't I provide see. investments. I it's see. just okay. a platform to invest as a group. I got you. It's kind of a facilitating platform. Yes, um, exactly. Okay, cool. So that that eliminates my second question because that's not what I thought it was. Um, <laughs> but that does make it a lot easier for sure. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about. I, I see this in in your bio, and I, I'm I'm interested because I've never heard this term. What is what is the lazy ten thirty one? What does that mean? So this is my uh, my my CPA came up with this term, and I've heard it elsewhere a little bit. But basically, all it is is you know everyone thinks if you're an active investor and you have real estate and you're trying to sell it that you know let's do a 1031 exchange right and yep. that's what ha- what you have to do and I'm sure you know this but you you basically sell your asset and upgrade to a bigger asset mm-hmm. with a bigger loan and you, you don't have to pay tax on it just rolls up into the next one and, and if you keep doing that you keep getting larger and larger properties and you 1031 until you die right yep. so you don't pay tax on on your gains so what happened was I had a bunch of active real estate and I wanted to cash it all out and, and get to passive. And so I went to my accountant and I said, I just sold all these properties. You know, I have this big tax bill. What do I do? And he said, you know, the first thing he said is, well, you know, Jim, sometimes when you make, make a bunch of money, you got to pay a bunch of taxes. I'm like, okay, yeah. I don't like that answer. <laughs> and he said, the se- second thing is you could do a lazy 1031. And what that is, is you just invest in new syndications or new real estate, whatever it is. And you get cost segregation, bonus depreciation, you have all this upfront paper loss, right? So let's say I invest $50,000 in a real estate syndication. I should, if it's multifamily, for example, I should get 30,000 to 50 or $60,000 of loss, paper loss that year. And that can offset any gain from any other, again, consult your accountant, any other passive gain. So I bought or I sold all these properties, had all of this passive gain and I just invested the proceeds into real estate syndications. I got a bunch of paper loss that offset that gain. And so that yeah. that to me is a lazy 1031. So once those deals go full cycle, I'll have to do depreciation recapture, which means you know recapture some of that. Yep. But if I reinvest that money in another deal, that offsets the recapture. Yeah. So what it effectively does, if you do it right, is you can do the same thing as a regular 1031 and not pay the tax, defer the tax, and in some cases eliminate some of the tax by constantly, you know, getting this big tax loss bucket that you can just use for all of your gains. Yeah. And so that's what a lazy 1031 is. That's awesome. That's very cool. It's a very it's a cool concept. I've not heard of it. I've never heard of anybody saying it like that, right? Articulating yeah. it like that's very cool. So talk about speculating versus versus investing. I know that um, you contend that most people are speculating when they think they're investing. What's the difference and how do people know what they're doing? Which one are they doing? Yeah, I think most people are speculating, honestly. And and as we said, you know, in, in the open is speculating is basically you're you're buying something, a, a probably a piece of paper and hoping that it goes up in value. Now you yeah. can do the same. I think development deals are speculation, right? Because you're buying land and you're building on it, and you're hoping that it. In, but you're you're actually adding value as you go. But the thing is, speculation. There, there's a place for it. I probably have you know five to ten percent of my assets are in speculative stuff, pre IPOs. I don't do much in the the actual stock market, but pre IPOs, um, development deals. That's all some sort of speculation. We're investing. Investing, you get a current benefit. It's yep. typically in the form of cash flow. And so the difference to me is is speculating is more of a, a strategy of hope and investing is more of a strategy of I'm going to get these cash flows as we go. Yeah. And the hope part is the, the backside, right? You're hoping to get some 
um, appreciation on the end. But it's not investing to put, you know, $10,000 in, in Apple and not get very much of a dividend. And you're not going to be able to talk to, you know, um, the, the CEO and say, hey, how, how is the operation going? Right. Right. How, how are things looking? You know, Tim Cook's not going to answer your call. And so you're and you're just hoping that someday you'll be able to sell that for more. Whereas investing, I'm going to invest with a syndicator. If if I have a question about the deal, I can send an email or call them and say, hey, how's my deal going? And all throughout this time, if I'm in the right deals, they're sending me cash every month, every quarter, every year as we go. And then at the end, they give me a big bonus. That's investing because you have yeah. a current benefit. And that's why speculation's okay. You just have to understand that you're doing it. Yeah. But so many people are buying these paper assets, holding on to them, and then hoping that they can sell it to somebody else for more later. Yeah. And that, to me, is speculation. Got it. All right. So if someone's listening to this and they've never gotten involved in a syndication, but maybe they've done house flipping, maybe they're a landlord, single family uh, landlord, and they're trying to understand be- what kind of returns uh, syndications will bring them, right? Like maybe they're already making pretty good returns, but it's it's all active, right? They're, they're kind of out there making it happen. Very broad brushstrokes here. If you're going to get involved in syndications, what kind of con- returns should you expect? If you're talking to a syndicator and they're giving you some idea of what the returns, target returns, how do you know if it's good, bad, kind of right in the range where it should be, a little high, which should be maybe a red flag that it's too high, too low, that they're just sort of like not really giving you all the full benefits of syndication? Like, how, What range, what should people be looking out for? Well, so I think it's going to be a lot different, right? The last five years, the last 10 years are not going to be what the future is like, probably, because there's so much uncertainty, interest rates, inflation, all this stuff. But <clears throat> yep. with all that caveat, I would comfortably think you should be able to get 6 to 10% cash on cash return annually, and you should be able to cumulatively double your money every five to 10 years. In, okay. in syndications. And so you also said, well, you know, some people are active and they're doing turnkey or single family homes. And they, that's what I used to do. And I thought I was being passive. That's not passive. That's active. And my contention is that if you're that kind of active investor where someone else is the property manager and you don't really have any specific skills in a specific market, then you are not going to beat syndication returns. You might match them barely with a lot more headache and a lot more time spent. Mm-hmm. The only way I think you can beat syndication um, returns is if you are someone who has a specific skill in a specific market and you can go in there and find a property that someone else doesn't understand and really do something to it. Yeah. Then if you can do that, you can crush syndications because you you have a niche, right? You yeah. have something. Some but unfair just, advantage, right? I mean, yeah, you have that's what you advantage. need. If you're just a regular person who goes out and buys a, a single family home and you think you're going to be the syndication return, you're probably not. And you're going to have a lot more stress yeah. and a lot more to do. And that's why syndications is, is for me. You know, you can fairly easily, confidently, 7% annual cash on cash return, right? And that's, and that's a tax-free return, most likely. Yeah. Right? For yeah. those of you comparing it to the stock market. Yep. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, if, more, if people want to get a hold of you and learn more, if they want to find out about Left Field Investor Community and they want to be part of that because they, they realize, and I, I can feel it from you, Jim. I don't want to put words in your mouth or, or put a label on you that doesn't belong. However, you, you feel like someone who has a very conservative approach to this, which is comforting and makes me feel like I would want to be in your world because you're not just, you know, willy-nilly... Uh, 
um, recommending things that aren't vetted, right? And so when, when we're talking about twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, that's a ton of money, and that might represent every you know someone's entire savings, right? And yeah. so. They want to be involved in a community. They want to make sure that they're vetting things and and be really, really careful. They can't afford to lose all of that in some speculative uh, type of an arrangement. So anyways, uh, if people want to learn more, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to get involved, how can they do that? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, there, there's a couple ways. You can go to our website, leftfieldinvestors.com. There's a subscribe button that, that gets you all of our meeting reminders, newsletters. That's free. Um, but if you want to contact one of the founders there's a um there's a contact us button that'll get get us on the phone if you want to contact me directly my email address is jim at leftfieldinvestors.com i talk to three four five new community members every day so i'm i'm happy to do that and and schedule a time to to chat with somebody if that's what they want awesome can i ask you one more qu- quick question and maybe this is sure. i don't know maybe i i don't think you're avoiding anything and and i have it didn't even occur to me till we, we just started talking uh is there a cost to be in the community is it is it a paid community that's a great question and um so to to subscribe and and attend most of our meetings and get our newsletters and and listen to the podcast and all that it's completely free the um there is a, a community we call the infield community hmm. and that costs 199 dollars for the first year and 15 dollars a month after that and that um with that you get access to our forum some investing tools some special meetings. We have uh, meet weekly mound visits, we call them, which is basically just a agendaless meeting on Clubhouse where we just talk investing. Okay. And there's a few other perks you get with the membership as well. Well, that's n- virtually nothing, right? I mean, that's that's about as cheap <laughs> as something could be that could potentially save you from making a tens of thousands of dollars mistake. Um, so that's yeah. pretty good. And $15 a month, right? Two Starbucks coffees a month and, and you got that <laughs> paid for. Um, awesome, man. Well, listen, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Thanks for all the info. And again, reach out to him directly if you want to talk to him. What's what's with the baseball references, by the way? How did you guys come? <laughs> I, I noticed there's a lot of baseball references. So how, yeah. how did that happen? And it's a little bit embarrassing because none of us like baseball. But um, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, my my when I was a financial advisor, my colleagues would always look at me and say, "Jim, you're way out there in left field with this alternative stuff." And so when we were trying to come up with a name, we're like, "Left field, we're way out there in left field." That's who we are. <laughs> that's perfect. I love that. I love it, man. I had to ask because there were so many. Once you start talking about the infield and all this, I, I yeah. there's there's a lot of baseball there. Uh, listen, man, thanks for doing this. It's been a blast getting to know you and talking to you. And I wish you nothing uh, but luck and. Hope Hopefully, we'll talk again in the future. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. I enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. You all should go check out his community. Uh, I mean, ridiculously uh, inexpensive to get even into the paid portion of it, but it sounds like there's just tons of free stuff available there, too. If you're interested in syndications or, or getting involved in that passively, you should go and check him out. I think the guy is very smart. Uh, Like I said during the podcast, uh, I find him to be on the conservative side, which is not a bad thing. That's a good thing, especially when you're new to investing in syndications and we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, It's very important that the people that you take advice from or that you listen to and follow are being a little bit conservative so that you don't put your money at undue risk. So go and check them out. Had a lot of fun and I hope you guys enjoyed that. Until next time, get out there and make it happen, guys. We'll see you next time.